listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code AFFECTA15. That's A-F-F-E-C-T-A-1-5. Welcome back, listeners. I'm Daria Brown, and this week I have with me Marla Cable, the Resource and Training Center Coordinator at Giant Steps School. Giant Steps is a developmental approach, individualized private school in the public interest in Montreal, Quebec, with approximately 100 students aged 4 to 21 with an autism diagnosis. They have both English and French instruction, and students are grouped by age clusters. Their school was even visited by Dr. Stanley Greenspan in the early days, and they are now in the process of building their new facility that will open in the summer of 2023. Welcome, Marla. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so excited to have you because it's rare that, first of all, that I get to interview fellow Canadians on the podcast. So that's number one, what I like. And number two, to be able to um, really get more information about another school that's specific for kids on the spectrum is wonderful, especially in Canada. So I'm so excited to hear about it. Uh, can you tell us about Giant Steps? What is the developmental approach or what are... What is the theoretical basis that you use behind the, the creation of the school and, and how does the school work? Um, well, maybe going back to sort of the, the creation of giant steps and everything. I mean, it, it really started with a the music therapist working with a, a couple of kids with developmental disabilities and then, you know, a demand from parents of wanting more. Um, so she created this pilot project, called it Giant Steps, got funding, and it started from there. So from the get-go, Giant Steps has always been very innovative in the sense of using a lot of the, the arts, using a lot of, you know, social-emotional learning, um, really uh, looking at the kids' interests and their strengths and how can we use that to help and support them with their, their challenges. Um, so that's really where Giant Steps sort of started from and everything. So um, on this podcast, we talk about DIR floor time, developmental individual differences, relationship-based model. And I just want to let listeners know this is not a DIR floor time school per se, but mm -hmm. has an influence of DIR floor time, uh, RDI, re relationship development intervention, and other developmental approaches. Uh, they're not using one specific approach in general, but it's very in line with floor time principles, which is why I wanted to talk to Marla. Um, can you describe like uh, what kind of programs or what the classrooms look like or what does a school day look like for the various age groups at the school? Yeah, um, so so uh, yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> so that the each day is very, very different for our students. Um, their week is very similar and everything. So like you said, we don't use one approach at Giant Steps. We sort of borrow from a lot of different approaches and make sort of a melting pot that, that meets the needs of each of our students. So each of their programs is very individualized and everything. Um, for sure, because we're a school, we're mandated by the Minister of Education to follow, you know, certain curriculum and certain guidelines and, you know, all, all of that good stuff and everything. Um, but within, within the school, the kids belong to a classroom. Um, so like you said, the classrooms are separated into age clusters. 
um, because we're a small school, we have 93 kids, ages four to 21. So it's not like we have enough kids to do like a kindergarten grade one, grade two class. So they're in age groups. Um, and then they sort of move up as they age and everything. And then within this school, we have our own uh, SLP. So a speech language pathologist departments. We have three of them. Um, we have three occupational therapists on site. We have uh, two music therapists. Um, and then we've developed other sort of classrooms based on the, the needs of our students. So we have um, a life skills class. We have a class based on Teva, which is in French. It's sort of like um, in Quebec, it's like getting kids ready for transitioning out of school and everything. So all of the skill sets that they need there. So we have that classroom. Um, we have a social skills classroom that does a lot of um, social emotional learning um, and uses a lot of the, you know, the, all, all of that approaches in their group. We also have a computer class. And I think that's all of them. <laughs> so the, the kids go to many of these therapies, sometimes in blocks of periods of time. So they're, yeah, so their, their day-to-day schedule will be very different, but the week will be pretty much the same. And maybe you can describe um, what does it mean private school in the public interest? So if it's a private school, usually that means there's a large fee for attendance, but that's not the case. Can you explain how that works? Yeah. So here in Quebec, the Minister of Education gives funding to the schools for the, the children that are, are coded with whatever diagnosis or difficulty they have. Um, so we get that full funding for our students. Um, so a typical um, private school may only get 60% funding from the, from the government. Therefore, they can charge the parents the balance of that other 40% type thing. Because we get 100% funding, we cannot charge a tuition fee. Um, so we don't have a tuition fee. We have regular school fees that, you know, that cover supervision during lunchtime um, and other, you know, little school fees, uh, supplies and things. But it's typically... Um, very similar to what any other school would be charging families and everything. Um, but we, because of our high ratio and um, because of all the different therapists and specialties that we have in our school, for sure what money the government gives us doesn't cover our costs. So we do have a very active um, foundation that's constantly fundraising to um, find the balance of that money that we need. <laughs> and I want to talk about that later in the podcast so we'll we'll talk about that fundraising we talk about the new facility that's coming um, but in terms of the you mentioned uh, a high ratio can you talk about the ratio of student to adult sure so in the classroom there's anywhere between eight and 12 students depending on the age and the needs of those students of that classroom and then each classroom has a certified um, teacher in charge and then there will be one to two educators and then one to two uh, attendants as well in the classroom. So there's generally about four staff in each classroom. So the ratios are quite good as well. So long time ago, Giant Steps had a one-on-one -on -one approach. So every student had an educator, but it was just um, financially, just uh, it just wasn't doable to maintain that long-term. So. so the the certified teacher is the classroom teacher. And then you mentioned... Um, the other two, can you describe a little bit about those professions? So our educators, many of them come from um, a background from our CJEP program, our college program here in Quebec, from a program called Special Care Counseling. So it really is a program that 
um, teaches people how to be educators with um, a variety of different clientels. Um, so they're, they're learning on how to support clientele as far as in their learning process and their autonomy, uh, uh, dealing with challenging behaviors and all that kind of thing. So many of our educators come from that background. Uh, and then our attendance um, on paper, they just need to have a high school degree and some experience with autism. But I must admit that our staff are, are highly trained. A lot of our attendants are want to be educators, so they may have the expertise in the education to be an educator. There just isn't a spot available for them. So they're willing to be uh, an attendant in, in waiting for an educator position. So our staff are, are, are really well trained and knowledgeable when it comes to autism. And I... I love when, um, you know, I was looking through the website, which I will put the website to giant steps up at affectautism.com if anyone is listening to this on audio or, you know, wants to look it up later. Um, you can you can look up giant steps in the search bar at affectautism.com. Um, it, it really is uh, a very highly skilled staff, which is, which is incredible. And I imagine that you have kids that stay with you from the time they enter until they're 21 and they must form deep relationships with the kids. Is, is there a lot of staff turnover or I guess you could talk about both? Yeah, so um, a little bit of, of, of everything. So as, as far as our students, we, we do have an inclusion program at Giant Steps that we didn't talk about. So Giant Steps really believes that any individual that can be in an inclusive environment should. Um, so we've always had um, you know, Giant Steps has been around 40 plus years and we've always had an inclusion program where, whereby our kids go out into a regular classroom in a school in their own neighborhood with one of our educators to, to practice to be in a regular classroom with the hopes that they will learn strategies and supports and, and be ready to transition back into the, the school board without us and everything. So that's always our hope. So on a year-to-year -year basis, we may have a couple of kids that were able to transition out. So they may stay with us. They may just stay with us for a period of time. Then we have other kids that do stay with us their entire, if we want to say, school career. So ages 4 to 21 with us, I think. So for sure, those kids that stay to 21, you know, if the staff has been here that long too, they definitely create a very strong uh, connection with staff and everything as well. So. And then I forget what the second part of your question was. Oh yeah, staff turnover rate. Oh. Yeah, I think I think any agency they they typically say that the life expectancy of an educator in a, a facility is about five years. So I would say that we have a huge clunk of staff that have been here fifteen and more years, and then wow. we have a big clunk that have been here you know five or less type thing. So so and I think that's good for an agency to have both senior staff, junior staff, because the senior staff come with their expertise and their knowledge that they can share with the, the newer staff. The newer staff come in with new ideas and new experiences and different ways of thinking, which can be really beneficial to the agency as well, so, yeah. Right, and I just wanted to share my screen for those watching on YouTube. You can see it if you are on audio, it's giantstepsmontreal.com, and I'm just showing their website that you can look up. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about the English French. So is it a bilingual program or is it some kids are learning in English and some kids are learning in French or a little bit of both? Giant Steps is not a bilingual program. 
Um, the kids are really taught in their mother language. So we have an English sector and a French sector. For sure within Quebec, um, kids do need to be learning the opposite language as a second language. So we, we do uh, take care of that as well. Um, but the children are taught in their mother language and everything. So the kids that are coming into the English sector do have to have a, a special paper from the ministry uh, showing that they, they, they are allowed to be educated in English. And I imagine there's a very high demand for people to be in your school. How does that work? Because Montreal is a very large city and you only have 93 students. Is there a large waiting list? How do people get into the school? Does it have to be in their school district? Or there's so many different ways it works with schools and across the United States and different provinces in Canada. Yeah, um, yeah. So 93 spots, and um, from from one year to the next year, because kids come in and take up that spot, and it's not like a kindergarten class; they all move up, and then you can move all those kids in. So. Each year it differs, you know, we can have anywhere from one to 10 spots available uh, each year. Um, so each year we kind of survey our families to see who's coming back, who's not, who's aging out. So 21 and plus, um, who's transitioning out. So then we know how many spots are available. Um, and then, then we look at the files that are um, waiting and, you know, try and figure out who fits the age bracket for the classroom that has a spot available and for the language of instruction. Um, and then we typically invite in around three kids for every spot available. And we have a, a multi-team, a multidisciplinary team that evaluates the kids and then determines who we think um, would best fit our program and that we would be able to offer them the best support possible. Um, so that's really hard on the team to make that, that choice and everything. Um, so families can apply directly to us. We do have to have an interboard agreement um, for transfer of funds and for accessibility to busing and to do our inclusion program. Um, so, you know, we have on average about 350 families um, hoping, crossing fingers that they'll get into giant concepts and everything. And, and that was one of the main reasons why we created our resource and training center was that we recognized that the majority of families will not benefit from sending their child to our program. So we wanted to at least offer something else to families to help and support them because we know families are on multiple wait lists, you know, left, right and center. So what can we do to help and support that greater community? So let's talk about this resource and training center. Um, what is it? <laughs> Um, so when I when I try and describe the resource and training center, I say I basically we have three mandates. So our first mandate is to help and support uh, our staff and students and families that are, are part of the Giant Steps community. So we have um, a, a room in the school that we warehouse all of the teaching supplies that the staff will need. So we can create kind of a lending library so they don't have to recreate and remake things that already exist. Um, the Resource and Training Center supports all of our staff in their professional development. So uh, on our professional development days, we bring in guest speakers or provide them with readings or videos or things to help and support them. And because we know that, you know, the field of autism is constantly growing and maturing. So we have to keep up to par in all that. So we're helping and supporting them with that. Um, I know I understand that you had Dr. Gil Tippy as a guest speaker last year at the school. We did, yeah. 
our listeners will be familiar with him. So I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So that was, that was really exciting to have him talk to us and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. So we have a variety of different speakers coming and everything. Um, so that's mainly our internal um, resource center. And then the resource center, the second mandate is really that the resource and training center is open to the general public. So any family, any autistic individual, any teacher, professional can come to the center and they can borrow some of our stuff if they want us to, to make and create um, either teaching material or visuals or anything like that. We can do that for them. We also offer courses, workshops, um, conferences, and either we will organize them and people can attend or I could have a group of people contact us and say, you know, we're a school, we'd really love you to do a presentation on how to better include autistic kids in our school setting. And that's something that we can put together uh, specifically for them and do that. And so then, other, uh, other public school, <clears throat> excuse me, other public schools in Quebec, in the Montreal area? It, it could be literally anyone. I mean, it could be a school, it could be a daycare, it could be an organization, a, a sports facility, a really, it could be anyone. And is it in, usually local or do you do them over Zoom, like for we, other places we over, too? We, yeah, we do it over Zoom and we can travel too. So last week I was in Quebec City for a week uh, supporting a, a school up there. Um, so I've, I've traveled around helping different people and everything. So yeah. And then the last thing that the resource center offers is consultation. So that's really, you know, um, you know, a, a school has tried all their tricks and strategies for a student and it's not going so well, or a daycare doesn't know quite know what to do. So we can send someone in and observe the, the child or the individual in question, uh, and then give the team all different types of strategies on how they can better support that individual in that wherever they are, whether it's a school or a home or daycare type thing. Wonderful. So that's our second mandate. <laughs> and then our, our third mandate is really a social mission. So we really recognize that um, we have a lot of expertise to share. So we want to, to help and support communities and cities to make sure that not only are they understanding what autism is, but how, how can they be more inclusive and welcoming to all individuals, especially those uh, with autism. Um, so I train, I support agencies in their making sure their environment is, uh, you know, autism friendly, um, you know, helping them if they want to make sure that their interviewing and their job setting is welcoming to autistic employees. Um, so it's really quite vast and everything. And the list has been quite, it's been growing of, of who I've been helping and supporting. So anywhere from, we've done a lot of work with police officers, um, firefighters, um, we've done work with museums, theaters, uh, orchestras, uh, community groups, uh, swim instructors, skating instructors, um, and the list goes on. We also do a huge project every year with the Montreal Airport, um, where uh, the families actually go through the whole process of flying and traveling. <clears throat> so um, they're with us for about five hours at the airport. We actually board a plane and do that whole experience. Um, just to sort of signal to families what part of flying is challenging for their 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 child so that they can be better prepared for the actual travel day. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, I imagine that most of these trainings and consultations you do are in French because you're in Quebec. Um, mix. I, I do English mix. and French. So uh, depending on, on what the client asks for, we can do that too. 
Okay, okay. Um, and we did a, uh, an autism, Affect Autism podcast with Culture City out of the United States a year ago. And a lot of what you're talking about reminds me of what they're doing um, at Culture City out of Alabama, where they're training police officers and they're, they're training staff at large sports events. Um, they provide sensory rooms and sensory uh, equipment for, for people that come in and they can identify themselves with staff before they go to a hockey game, for instance. And if, and they gave the example of, you know, three goals in four minutes or something. And, and if they see someone getting overwhelmed, that the staff can spot that sensory meltdown. And so it really reminds me of the kind of work you're doing, um, which is incredible because I, I didn't realize that was going on. Um, I wish we had more of that happening in Toronto. <laughs> Yet, do you have some um, eye-opening experiences or uh, stories that you're comfortable sharing about people and their, you know, what they learn and, and the light bulbs that go off when you do these trainings? Um, so maybe a couple of things. So one thing that came to mind is we, we did a huge program with the first responders. And if you go on our website, the program is there and it's free and anyone can download and use it. <clears throat> and the police officers, it's actually on their national uh, um, network as far as the training. So any police agency in Canada, Canada can access uh, this uh, program that we've put together and everything. But in putting together that program, one thing that really um, stood out for us was that we were trying to make it that the police officers change all of their behavior to help and support autistic individuals. And then we realized that the police officers have their own mandate and everything. And that sometimes as general public, we're not entirely aware of, of their rules and what they have, their guidelines. So that was really eye-opening to us. So when we did the first responder project, we then made a section for for them, but we also made a section for teachers so that they know what information they should be teaching their own students. Then we made a section for parents so that they know what information they need to help and support their children. And then another section for autistic individuals themselves, because we really need to come together sort of as a community. So we need to know that um, when we're teaching autistic kids that you know, when you're in an emergency situation and police officers are involved, well, what are the type of behaviors you should and shouldn't be doing to keep yourself safe, right? And the same thing for the police officers, what should you be doing to be supportive so that it doesn't deteriorate into a situation that we don't want it to go into and everything. Um, so that's been really eye-opening for us, but I think in training the police officers, um, they've had a lot of aha moments of, you know, I think the general public has this ideology of what they think or what they know is autism. And then when they learn the vastness of it and, and how each individual is so different um, and the strengths that come with autism too, that's really eye-opening for a lot of people as well. <clears throat> and that was something that came up as I was training the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. Um, a lot of their workers were saying, wow, I, I what I thought was autism isn't that at all and that you've really taught me that it's so much more and and everything so that's been really rewarding yeah it there's so many myths out there I've had a podcast with some self-advocates about you know the myths of autism and and how you know they're you know now it's moving more towards uh the neurodiversity movement saying you know there's more neuro types where you might have an autistic brain but then there's co-occurrences. So 
it, everybody sort of branches everything under autism and it's the stereotypical child flapping their hands and meltdowns and whereas it can be such a range of different things so it's it's amazing to hear about the work you did i uh for those on audio i was just showing the sections of the website on the video uh that marla was describing that you can access and again it's giantstepsmontreal.com and i will put links to it in the blog post uh, I'm really eager to hear about the other section on the website under the foundation tab where you do fundraising because fundraising is always such a huge challenge for, you know, uh, organizations that are trying to provide, you know, we're always looking for funding and you guys have done such an incredible job of fundraising and do you want to talk about that a little bit and then we'll get into the new center that's opening up? Sure. Well, I mean, hats off to our foundation because, I mean, they do a phenomenal job. I mean, I, you know, to cover our costs, they're raising about a million a year. So how they do that, it's just like, and they've been able to continue doing that during the pandemic and everything, uh, which is really incredible. So, I mean, the foundation isn't doing like little cookie sales, right? They're doing some pretty massive campaigns to bring in that money. Um, every year we have a large um, auction, so we auction off items and everything. So that's a, a major event. Um, so yeah, so I mean, we do we do have companies and patrons that have been with us are very long and are very loyal and very generous to us and everything, and we thank them immensely. Um, so yeah, so they're they're working really really hard. <laughs> yeah, it is incredible. Um, I I see that the. Well, on the, um, I'm going to go back to the homepage here because you can see the new building that, if I understood correctly, is already constructed? Uh, it's in the midst of, yeah. And is this it? Well, that's a rendering of what it will look like, yeah. Okay, so okay. We're, we're, we're building ground up. It's a $52 million project. Wow. Um, so the foundation has had to raise a, a little bit more than half of that. Um, wow. And they've done this all during the pandemic. So I, like I said, I mean, phenomenal team and everything. So um, yeah, so we're very excited. It's like a huge undertaking for us. So what is going to change with the new center? So Giant Steps is currently in one area uh, just west of Montreal, and they're moving to more of a central location in, in Montreal uh, to a new building next school year. And yeah. so can you describe what the new center is, how it's going to be different and, and similar? So everything's going to change and everything's going to stay the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we're doing is with the new center, um, it will have four pillars in it. So the first pillar will definitely be our school. Um, so we're going to increase our student body from 90 to 120. Um, so we're still looking at, will those be more French classes uh, and, and how many and then what that will look like and what age groups and everything. So that's expanding. Um, the resource and training center will also be expanding to include kind of like a community-like center. So we're, we're hoping to offer more services and support to families and individuals on, you know, in the evenings, on the weekends, during the day. Um, how can we respond to to the needs of, of families and autistic individuals. So that could be anywhere from, you know, renting out a gym. Uh, it could be offering, you know, uh, 
for parent courses or sibling classes or social events. Um, so that will be all published very soon. Um, and then we're, we've partnered with the researchers and the universities to have sort of a research living lab on site too, so that they'll be able to do research that will impact um, how, how we support our students and everything. So that's exciting as well. <clears throat> and then our fourth pillar that we're really proud of is we're really developing adult services, so an adult program, because um, we know that as our students age out of the school system, uh, supports and services for autistic adults are, are few and far between. So we want to develop that and everything. So, so I have a, a question about the, the last two points that you made. So the research center, will this be students that are currently at McGill or Concordia or like other local universities coming in and using the school population with, with consent, of course, um, as you know, research subjects in in social science kind of research, or what kind what kinds of setup will it, what, what kind of setup will it be? Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about the the details because we haven't actually published all the details. But okay. kind of like kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, it will be a way to get more applied, cutting edge research that will help inform instruction, not only for your own school, but as a model for other centers and schools. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Because I think we really recognize that sometimes research is really, you know, at the top end and everything. And we really want it to be a pliable, like, okay, like now you've learned this and you've proven this, but how can we apply this to really, to, to, to make the lives better for autistic individuals, you know? That's wonderful. Um, will the funding for the research come from all different sources? I'm not sure on that part. Not yet. Okay. Because I know, um, like I know a lot of grad students get federal funding through grants and then, you know, there might be funding through your fundraiser, you know, all different areas, but that that's amazing that you'll, you'll include that in there. Um, I think it'd be amazing too, if the autistic students get a chance to participate as researchers down the road in some capacity and learn to be researchers themselves. For sure. And that's often a complaint or a concern from the autistic community is that they're not involved in that process, right? So we want to make sure that they are involved in all levels. And we do that already, you know, like when we did the first responder project, we had autistic adults and children involved in the, in the process and the decision and the creation and the making of and everything. So we, we really uh, try to make sure that we are including all individuals, autistic individuals in all of our, our program and decision-making and everything. Amazing, amazing. Um, let's get into the employability uh, things that you do. I know that you mentioned that you have the training and consultation through the Resource and Training Center, but you also... Um, have a program where you where you promote employing autistic students or autistic individuals. Can you talk about that program? Yeah, so for a couple of years, we've had a program called Polaris where we partnered with Loblaws and we actually have like um, a practice um, supermarket. And so individuals come to learn um, all aspects of the supermarket from manning the cash to stocking to warehouse and everything. And our, our goal was really to 
<clears throat> work with Loblaws so that um, they, they teach the skill sets to autistic adults so that eventually they actually could be hired on as full-time employees with, with regular benefits and salary as any other individuals uh, would in their enterprise. So we've been doing that. Um, we've been working with a um, couple of hotels uh, here in Quebec as well. Um, so they've started to hire autistic uh, employees as well. Um, and now we're beginning process with um, uh, St. Hubert, which is sort of a chicken restaurant chain and everything as well. Yeah. So uh, our, our, our goal is to, to, uh, to help agencies, uh, yeah, just have, have, have the knowledge and the skills so that they can hire autistic individuals as a regular employee and everything, right? And I love that you said hire them as as any other employee, as opposed to like, oh, we're going to get government funding for hiring a quote unquote special needs person uh, or person with disability and and instead, you know, be included as part of the, the staff. So yeah. that, yeah, that's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Do you find that you get feedback after they've been employed for a while? Do you hear much feedback from the organizations that you've worked with in the in the tourism industry or in the, the grocery store? Yeah, I think I think the 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 employees and, and the sort of the bosses of those agencies are, are impressed. I think they're they're blown away. I don't think they realize how successful it, it could be. Um, you know, if, if a few modifications or accommodations are are, are given to employees, uh, the employees themselves, I mean, they're 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 so proud and their quality of life is so great because of the experience. So I think everyone ends up benefiting from, from the program and everything. Is, is there anything else um, about giant steps that we haven't covered that you really want to highlight or share? Well, I mean, we're, we're not limited to Montreal and Quebec either. Right. I mean, I mean, if, if, if someone else is in another province or another country and wants our help and services and support, we're, we're open to doing all of that and everything. We, you know, we don't want to keep everything for ourselves. We really, we really believe in, in sharing. I mean, one of one big reason we we take in a lot of interns from a lot of universities and, and colleges doing their internships with us and everything, because we we want to teach, right? And we know that the more we teach, then that filters out and helps and support and everything. So I guess the other Big thing that we do do through the Resource and Training Center, we partnered with the World Health or Organization, um, and we offer what's called the Caregiver Program. So it's a, a nine-week program for families with young children, whether they're diagnosed or not. Um, and we teach them different strategies throughout this nine-week program and help and support them through phone call check-ins. And we also do um, Zoom uh Zoom home check-ins too to, to coach them and guide them and help and support them as well. So that's something else that we're really proud of as well. And um, is it a separate staff that provides that coaching or do you, is it the staff of Giant Steps or do you have, you know, a separate team that does coaching specifically for that program? Uh, so far it's Giant Steps staff that are doing that. Um, the goal of the program eventually is to have kind of a master trainer and then facilitators so that we can train more people. Um, right now, now, UConn Autism and myself um, through Giant Steps are offering the program and everything. But uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping to, to train more people so they can 
help and support more and more families. So, and it is a free program. There's no charge for families to attend this program at all. Incredible. <laughs> um, I, I imagine it's, it's such a help for people and uh, there's such a demand for it. So, um, well, wow. I mean, it's, it's filling that gap because families are all, are always on waiting lists, waiting for mm -hmm. services and support. Right. So that's why this program was really created that you don't have to have a diagnosis. You, you just, you know, your child is struggling and has challenges and you want as a parent to have strategies on how can I help and support them? You know, like, how can I help them, uh, develop a communication system how can i help them uh, learn skills for everyday living and everything so we we really help in, in that regard so and i love that you're using uh social emotional uh sensory um approach for all of those trainings versus a behavioral approach i think that's um such a positive move forward compared to a lot of the services that we have here in Ontario, for sure, but everywhere. Thank you so much for, for everything that you guys do and um, for sharing all of this information with us. It's really incredible. Uh, I think that it can be a model for other schools for sure. And, and hopefully this podcast will reach people that, you know, you will inspire to do similar types of things. I know that funding is always the major issue for everybody. So the fact that you guys are so successful at your fundraising is really incredible. Um, yeah. It sounds like you are an extremely busy person on top of multiple projects, uh, doing amazing work for the autism community. So thank you so much. Um, listeners, check out affectautism.com under giant steps for links to everything we talked about. And uh Hopefully we'll be in touch again, Marla. I'd love to keep track of what's happening at Giant Steps. And um, it's just sounds like a wonderful place that I wish you had hundreds of more spots for all of those people on the wait list. <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. You too. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube, and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play, or just go to wechoseplay.com. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. We Chose Play... We have joy every day.